the Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! <laughs> I love it in flesh! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky team. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we roll into the second hour of our three-hour tour known as the Tom Sumner Program. We're going to try and cheer people up a little bit this hour with the uh, author of a new book called Practical Happiness, Four Principles to Improve Your Life by by the founder of the Society of Happy People, Pamela Gail Johnson, who joins me by phone. Hi, Pamela. Welcome to the show. Hi. How are you? Well, I'm doing just fine, but like most people, I could use a little cheering up. (laughs) (laughs) That does seem to be um, kind of like a ripple effect. And thank you for inviting me to to be on your show. Um, Tell me about the... uh, about the book, Four Principles to Improve Your Life. Is it, why four and not three or seven? Um, I, I wanted it to be somewhat memorable, and so I could have probably considered three, but the four just seemed to be the, the perfect number, kind of like a table, uh, the legs of a table, all four to keep everything all balanced. And so so that's kind of the number that, that, that we went with. There wasn't really any big ma- magic into it. Um, like I said, it sort of seems that those were the the four to work with. And and also I wanted, like I said, I didn't want to do so many that people couldn't, couldn't remember them. So that when you're kind of walking through your day and you come up with a situation and you're kind of like, okay, here's, I can go right and it makes me happier or I can go left and it makes me unhappier. You can kind of think of those principles and go, oh, yeah, that's what's going on here. Can you share an example of a principle that that is um, life-improving? Well, I think the first principle, happiness is personal, is life-improving because I think while on the surface that sounds so so simple and like kind of like, duh, of course happiness is personal. I don't think we always apply it. I think a couple of things happen with that one is that when when you're happy, when something makes you happy, like what's something that makes you happy? Talking with people like you. Okay, talking. Okay. No, so, I, I, you know, I say that and, and it sounds like I'm being facetious, but the truth is I really enjoy doing this radio show because I get to talk to so many interesting people and people with different perspectives and points of view. And that's, that's one of the things that I, I really do honestly enjoy. So, 
I'm going to go to the next place with that. You enjoy that because you learn, you get to every single day, you probably learn at least one new thing. Would that be fair? Oh, yeah, that would definitely be fair. Yeah, so, so, you, do, so you enjoy that, and that's your happiness. And sometimes when we enjoy something, we try to get other people to enjoy the exact same thing we do, and somebody else might not want to talk to a bunch of people because that might be overwhelming to them. Maybe they're, that's just kind of not, not their thing. So everybody has their, you know, happiness is personal, Somebody else, you know, so if I got, gave you a job where you were, say, an accountant and having to just do numbers and be on a computer 24-7, that might not make you happy, but yet it might make somebody else happy. So I think we always have to remember that our happiness is really unique to us. And, it, and this particular principle also can be connected to principle three, which is uh, happiness changes as you change. But they are still, some, you know, somewhat different. I also think with all of the, uh, I call it just happiness science, if you will, uh, the science only works if it fits our happiness as personal. So I'll, I'll use an example for me. You know, we all know that if you run and you exercise hard and you get all sweaty, you, you kind of get all those, still get endorphins flowing through your body, um, which scientifically makes us happier. But, like, for me, I don't like running. I, I don't like sweating. I don't like hurting my knees. So my mindset about it kind of negates any of the chemical happiness I would get out of that particular activity. <laughs> I like so, the line that uh, uh, comedian Red Fox said that somebody asked him how fast he could run, and he said, depends on what's chasing me. Exactly. So he probably he probably he probably didn't find he, he probably didn't want to be a marathon runner either. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's um, it, you know, probably if he had a cute girl chasing him, he would probably run really slow. <laughs> I would imagine. And, and if it was you know a a a bear, he would probably run a little faster because <laughs> the bear could stop running. Yeah, exactly. So I, I think that's one of those things when we're kind of going through life. We, we forget, like I said, that our, our happiness is really personal to us. And the other challenge with recognizing that is respecting other people's happiness is personal to them. Are we, um, we are responsible for our own happiness. We're responsible for you know for noticing it when it happens. I think I think we we all have uh, happiness zappers, which is in principle too that happiness zappers are manageable. So we're all going to have experiences that are that just quite frankly don't make people happy. That's why we call happiness zappers, and we have five categories of them. But but how we manage those does determine our happiness, so therefore we do have that co-responsibility with it. But we're never going to be just 24-7 happy. That's just not realistic. Well, I've, I've had a saying that I've used in a lot of different applications over the years that goes, mind over what's the matter. <laughs> and, and that's 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 a management tool like it's again how you approach you know approach 
a particular happiness zapper. If, like I said, we're all, so the principle two is happiness zappers are manageable, and we have five categories of those. So, and there is a difference between unhappiness and the other categories. So unhappiness are those lingering experiences, and they usually have to do with loss. So obviously the ultimate loss is the death of someone we love or a pet or, you know, something like that. But losses are also bigger than that. Maybe you're getting a divorce or you could even be going through empty nest syndrome and there's that loss of, as in a change in your family unit, or maybe your job changed and you, you, did, you know, it's not something you were seeking. Your your company did a reorganization. Uh, you've got an estrangement going on with a friend or a family member, so you're not getting, you don't have that relationship, you know, in your life. You have a health loss. Uh, you go to the doctor and they're like, yeah, you have to exercise every day and you have to not eat your favorite foods. So these kinds of, uh, this, this kind of loss it, it has a grieving process associated with it, and it just, it's kind of an ebb and flow situation, and it's certainly not going to be a situation where you just go, oh, I'm going to be, I'm going to be happy today, and so I, my heart, you know, usually our heart's somewhat broken in these situations, and that, that doesn't mean you don't have any happy moments at all when you're going through unhappiness. It just means you sometimes are going to just need to let yourself feel bad or cry or, or again, manage it however you choose to manage it. And in this particular chapter, we talk about a zap map, a zapper management action plan. So you can create some steps about how to manage your particular unhappiness does that, does that make sense? Yeah, and, and I've been sitting here wondering, trying to figure out exactly how to introduce this into the conversation, but how big a happiness zapper is COVID-19? I think that's a big one. <coughs> and, um, and what I'm getting at is, you know, my show is based in uh, in Michigan, and when I was growing up, we would get these big, snowstorms almost blizzard like and schools would close for a day or two and and they were called snow days and we loved them we could we, we they were hoped, fun yeah we hoped we had a bunch of them every winter and now uh, it seems like i've been on a snow day for two years <laughs> it's not quite the same fun it was and i guess what i'm getting at is for people who've been you know, forced to quarantine or lockdown, uh, you know, it's it's kind of been in again, out again lately, but it's it's still, it's for the better part of two years, we've been in this shutdown mode, and I just wonder how that's impacting people, not to mention, you know, death and illness and you know some of the other aspects of this uh, this pandemic. How is that impacting people's happiness uh, overall? And what can you do when something big is is in the way of your happiness like this? Well, I think when we look at okay, so so first prior to COVID, a study had come out that showed Americans were fifty percent uh, or were unhappier than they had been in 50 years. So we were already, despite, you know, what was done with maybe call a good economy and things, we were already 
going into a, a happiness dip, if you will. And then COVID hit, and that just changed what we would consider our normal life. You know, whatever that was for you. I mean, very few people would consider it normal to, you know, initially, you know, not be able to go to the store and buy, say, toilet paper. <laughs> That's just not the culture that that we, in, as in, well, most Western cultures, it's just not what we were familiar with. And I know for me, I sort of make a joke, but remember those early videos where they were showing us, like, when we talk to people, how we project how spit, so to speak, how we all did it. And I, I just started watching the news and I started making a joke. I'm like, I'm always going to carry a mask with me because apparently I'm French kissing everyone. Um, <laughs> and I may not want to do that ever. <laughs> like, I just never thought of it that way. Um, so, like, I think we all learned something, something that makes us look at something, you know, different in the world of germs, for example. And so this is going to impact all of us in, in different ways, and certainly the school closures and living with uncertainty. We don't do well with uncertainty, and we're still in an uncertain place. Now, fortunately, we're in a place that is ebbing and flowing a little bit more by community. We now know how to treat COVID better. So if someone you know, you know, gets it or you get it, I don't know that everybody's quite as afraid that like, oh, we might die. I mean, that's a huge uncertainty of, of, of death. Now, yes, it can happen and it's still happening in, in large numbers, but, but we do know how to treat it again, better. So there are these, these aspects of this pandemic that we're learning how to manage, if you will, in, in a better way. But it's still a very, it's still very scary and it's still very uncertain. And when you, if you've got kids, I don't, do you have kids? Going uh, my kids are, are grown and have kids of their own. So you see, but you have grandkids going sure. to school, right? Yeah. So, we have grandkids going to school or kids going to school. Well, yeah, they're bringing home germs. I'm not the best example for this because uh, my my grandkids are not yet school age, um, or at least the one here in Michigan isn't, and and the kids in uh, in Virginia are homeschooled. Okay, well that's so they were already doing um, at home learning, so that was pro that's been probably a helpful a helpful thing this this time, but. It's, um, yeah, it's, so you have kids going, parents with kids going to school that, you know, they're bringing home, like, germs like they normally do, because that's what kids do. Uh, that's just part of, part of being in our childhood, and we, so you're getting COVID in the house, and, and I was talking to somebody yesterday, and they were like, yeah, once you get COVID and you're, you know, once one of the kids is bringing it home, the whole family ends up with it, and then how's that impacting the workplace? And if you're working as a working parent, you don't know if you're going to be homeschooling from day to day. Again, it creates a huge uncertainty, not only for the child, Pam but also for the parent and for company. Pa Pamela, I have to put a comma here. I have to take a short break, but I want to talk to you some more about the book. Can, can you stick around for a few minutes? Of course. All right. My guest is uh, Pamela Gale Johnson, author of Practical Happiness. We'll let our broadcast partner squeeze a few words in, and we'll be right back. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program.
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. Do you ever feel like you need an attitude adjustment? Are you wishing there was a magic pill or a new app for your mobile device? Why don't you try live local music? Music can make you dance, bring back fond memories, inspire you to be more creative, whether you attend a child's school concert or recital, go to a local symphony concert, visit local bars and restaurants that feature dance music, sing-along piano, or jazz and blues. Music could be just what you're looking for. Supporting live local music is more than a way to support your local artists and economy. It's a great way to improve your own quality of life. Support live local music. This message is brought to you from the Tom What are you doing? Oh, you know, just um, attorney general stuff. Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than $1,000 now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So, listen. We just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards, and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam? Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dana, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection.
Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue our conversation about happiness with the uh, founder of the Society of Happy People and author of a new book called Practical Happiness, Pamela Gale Johnson, who joins me by phone. Um, Hi, Pamela. Welcome back. Thanks for sticking around, and sorry to make you sit through all that. Oh no, I love I love to listen to what's happening in the the everyone's local world. It's fun. <laughs> Thanks for having me back. Um, let me let me ask you um, this. We were talking uh, toward the end of the last segment about the impact of uh, COVID nineteen and quarantines and so on on people and their happiness. But you are a practical happiness advocate for organizations that struggle with employee engagement, burnout, retention, and so on. Is group happiness different than individual happiness? Well, I think it's all connected. So if you, first, happiness is contagious, just like unhappiness is contagious. So group happiness, obviously, you know, can happen if the majority of the group is, is you know, in a more positive mindset, in a more positive vibe. So, it's again, it's all interconnected. You're not going to end up with a super happy group if everyone's, the majority is, is probably unhappy. So, I think that at work, our happiness sometimes comes through different paths than our personal happiness. And so, I think that's what sometimes doesn't get recognized in the workplace. And speaking of workplace, a lot of people have been uh, working remotely, and and mm-hmm. some like it, some don't. You know, some would be happy to stay that way. Some can't wait to get back to their their regular office setting. Some are back already, um, but there's been a a huge shift. A lot of people lost jobs during the the pandemic, and a lot of people rethought their careers. You know, maybe they were laid off for some period of time and then just never went back and decided to do something else. Is this a good time to reassess um, how rewarding um, and and how much your life is, is making you happy or zapping your happiness and, and make adjustments? And, and how do people do that? that process how do they how do they do that audit well i I think in in reference to the book it fits principle three happiness changes as you change and whether or not we um wanted it to the pandemic certainly has changed us and so i I think we're all doing that reassessment whether it's conscious or, or not whether we're intentionally doing it or whether we wanted to do it so I, I think we are in a great uh, work-wise. We call it the great. They keep calling it the great resignation, but I really think part of that's the great reevaluation. People are trying to figure out what's what's important to them, and in some cases, people. There's, I think. Well, and it's interesting. A slight misnomer. And it's interesting that you know you said early earlier, Pamela, that um, that surveys prior to the pandemic were showing that that happiness for Americans was waning a little. And and perhaps some of those things were job-related. People weren't happy in the lives they were leading and got a chance to maybe do a reset. Well, 
Well, exactly. And if you were in certain industries that closed during the pandemic, sometimes you still had to figure out a way to feed your family. And so I think during that window of time, let's say you were a waitress, but you also made jewelry on the side. You may have found, you know, an online selling avenue for that jewelry like Etsy, and you realize you can make very similar money and be in control of your own hours. So I think a, a lot of what's going on is that people had to survive, and so, like I said, they got creative, and they started doing other things for, for income. I think that's one of the, they, you know, they, they reevaluated different pieces. And then some people, you know, have just decided they want to do different things. Like you said, they, they are like, hey, wait a minute, maybe I wasn't as happy at my job, so now I want to do something different. Or maybe I don't want to live in a big city and I'd rather live in a more uh, rural environment or I want to live in the suburbs. And so now I need a job that works with that. Most people work-wise want to have a, a combo. They want to be able to go into an office when they want to go into an office, and then they want to work hybrid when they need to or want to or work at home. So most people would like a, a hybrid kind of environment. So I think companies are going to have to figure out how to make that, that happen. And I also think on a personal note, I remember getting an email from one of our society subscribers and our members, and she, early on, and she said, um, the pandemic for my, me and my husband has been pretty great. I realized how much stuff I was doing I didn't enjoy. And my husband and I figured out we enjoy each other's company. Uh, now, that hasn't been the case for everybody, maybe, but that, that <laughs> has been the case for some people. Well, again, I think we live very active lives, and so most family units, even if you, you had a good family unit with your spouse and your, your kids, or however that worked for you, we didn't necessarily plan on being together 24-7, so I do think that can be somewhat stressful. We're, everybody's kind of used to going out and doing their own thing during the day, and then they show back up at home at night at some point, and everybody kind of reconnects and shares their day. So there's a big difference in that and then being 24-7, you know, under the same roof. But I do think even on a personal note, people, people are, you know, studies are showing people are evaluating even their friendships, like who they were spending time with. So I think this great reevaluation is bigger than just the workplace. I think it's going on everywhere, and it, it's happening whether we plan for it to or not, or even if we you know, wanted it to or not. And I think I classify myself as an introvert um, because I can go a long time and, and not see people and be pretty content with the thoughts in my head. So I can entertain myself pretty easily. But I noticed during the, you know, during the height of lockdowns and stuff that it was, you know, I started going, wow, I, I think I like people more than I thought I did. So... I, I missed that interaction. What is a, uh, a happiness set point? Well, science, a study that came out of Stanford uh, probably close to 20 years ago now um, showed us early on that some of us are biologically, we, we, we all have a biological sort of set point. 
and that study originally assigned percentages to these 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 three factors that made up happiness, and then they've later kind of said they wish they hadn't assigned those those specific um, those specific percentages. So I don't want to I don't want to close them, but you know our you have, so there are some people just predisposed to seeing a glass half full. It's just easier for them, and so we all we all have that. So everybody can probably figure out what theirs is. You know, do you have to work a little harder to be happy more? Are you somebody who, when it's raining, you're running around singing in the rain and dancing outside because you're having a great time while somebody else is cursing it? You probably know where, where that sort of set point is for you. But then a huge chunk of our happiness really is about our own mindset and what we're choosing to, you know, what activities we participate in, the people we hang out with, you know, what we do, what we look for. Um, and then a smaller percentage based on the actual circumstances around us because we're going to all deal with those happiness zappers. We did talk about unhappiness, but there's also stress and fear and chaos and annoyances. So there's there's four other kinds of happiness zappers. Um, but, yeah, so we, so we, do, ha we do have that set point. So do you, do you think you have a high happiness set point or... Where, where would you fall on a scale of one to ten? Well, I've never really given that any thought, Pamela. I'd, you know, statistically, I'm I'm prone to say seven. Okay, so you're a pretty happy guy naturally. Oh yeah, yeah, and and I used to have a saying about, um, you know, trying to find the humor in things, and and I used to say, I, I used to call it finding the funny. Can you find the happiness? Well, humor is one of our 31 types of happiness, which is part of principle four. Uh, so, and so, yeah, I think you usually can find the happiness. I think, okay, so let's, let's take two situations. I think we would all say that, you know, a wedding is usually considered a happy event. Would you, would you agree? Yeah, for most people, sure. Yeah, so if you're going to a wedding... It hasn't worked out so during, well for me a couple times, but... <laughs> we've got to experience many types of love, another happy uh, type of happiness. But, but, you know, actually at the actual wedding, it's usually considered a happy event to buy at least the bride and groom usually. But if you're part of the bridal party, you're part of the family... I have never been to one that there's not some sort of chaos or annoyances oh, or sure. somebody's family members dancing on the table or somebody's doing some kind of toast that everybody's like, wow, what is that going on? Or there's some problem with the caterer. There's, there's usually some kind of un, something, a happiness zapper is usually taking place, even though the vast majority of the event is considered happy and positive. Conversely, I've probably never been to a funeral, which is obviously, I think, again, universally considered a sad event, uh, that usually somebody's not sharing nostalgic, nostalgia is a one of the types of happiness, not sharing nostalgic moments about the person and celebrating their, their life. So most of our life is just not completely all unhappy or completely all happy. It's intertwined with a combination of experiences. And so we can kind of look for the happy even when we're experiencing things that 
that maybe don't feel as good as we want them to. I mean, because they're usually they're usually there. You know, I was just trying to figure out how to how to connect these things up, but a lot of times we set goals and and we think we'll be happy when we reach a certain goal and then we get there and find out that we're not. Should we be examining how likely those goals are to really make us happy when we're making the goals? Setting goals is good because I think studies show that, say, learning new things makes us happy. So usually when we set a goal, we're going to be learning and experiencing new things. And so, but I think what we need to reevaluate isn't necessarily about setting goals, but remembering that the happiness is usually happening along the way to the goal. The majority of our happiness is going to happen in all the experiences we have that get us to the goal. And the goal can be happy because that can be satisfaction that we completed our goal, but the goal itself is not going to just be only the bundle the bundle of happiness. I mean, I guess maybe if you win the Super Bowl or something, that exact moment maybe, but, but you're still going to have had that whole experience that gets you to, to that goal that's uh, filled with lots of happy moments. Well, I just think, you know, people say, you know, if I lived in this neighborhood, I'd be happy, and, you know, and then they... They save up, buy a house in that neighborhood, and then it, it just doesn't quite do it for them. Um, uh, if I lived in a bigger house, if I had a, uh, you know, a fancier car, it, you know, there are all these things that we think are going to make us happy, and and we work toward them, we get the things, and then find out that they didn't make us happy after all. I, I actually tell a little story about about that in the book that, you know, somebody who, who got to buy their dream car and, you know, initially they were super excited and um, then eventually the car just became a car. At first, when it comes to actually things, studies show that experiences will make us happier than things. So if you, then it, you know, instead of buying the biggest house that's going to stretch your budget, I'd buy a smaller house and make sure I have, have funds to go on a vacation every year. Because that vacation statistically will probably um, make you happier than your 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 house. Uh, so I, I think that because again the experiences are what makes us makes us you know happy. I don't think there's anything wrong with wanting to get a big house or get the right car. I think that's great. I think saving and working towards all that is great. But if we actually believe that that one thing is going to make us happy. It's just probably not true because even the things that make us happy, like let's say you get the house you want, well, the neighbors next door might not be as nice as you thought they were. They don't live the life you fantasize they have, and you don't become best friends or, or you know, whatever your fantasy uh, was. Um, and then the house itself, you know, you might get in it and you're like, wow, I'm having to do a lot of those HGTV projects and repairs, <laughs> and I'm not as good at that as they are on the 30-minute TV show, um, and therefore there's lots of happiness zappers that go with that, or, you know, we, we sometimes forget that there's going to be a certain amount of happiness zappers that are connected to pretty much any experience we have. Well, let me uh, just remind people I'm talking with uh, Pamela Gale Johnson. She is the author of a book called Practical Happiness, Four Principles to Improve Your Life. She is also 
founder of the Society of Happy People. Um, Pamela, tell me a little bit about the Society of Happy People, and, and do you have to pass a test to get in? We have a secret handshake. I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I started the society like 20, I think like 1998, so 20-something years ago now. And our purpose, we, we started as a hide and self-help movement. So kind of when you had Jerry Springer and Oprah and uh, their talk TV, talk radio, books, seminars, it, they didn't have podcasts then, but if they did, it'd be, it would have been it would have included podcasts. Was pretty much on kind of healing your wounds, and and not that that doesn't have its place because it certainly does, and it's certainly important. But that's sort of what we focused on. So I was kind of curious. I'm like, where are all the happy people? It was kind of my question, and so I was I I just wanted people again to recognize when happiness was happening with the same zest and enthusiasm they did and recognizing their their wounds. So one of the things we did is we identified 31 types of happiness. So we get people more happy things to look for. And then another uh, thing we did is we started, th- started three international holidays. So we started Happiness Happens Day, which is August 8th. We started, that got expanded to Happiness Happens Month because the first year people were like, I'm busy on the 8th or I'm this and I'm not going to be able to celebrate. So we just expanded it to be the month so you could celebrate whenever in the month you want, whenever that makes you happy. And then we just and then we added a hunt for happiness week in January because sometimes we do have to put a little more effort into into uh, to finding finding happiness. Yeah, January and February can be a little tough. Well, yeah, we don't like you don't have spring break yet, and you just got rid of. You know, you just got past all the what I call fall holiday hoopla. So everything from kind of starting Labor Day, we just have a nice steady stream of fun holidays. You know, people who like maybe don't love the Christmas holidays, a lot of those folks love Halloween. That's actually a very popular holiday. People love Thanksgiving. Like there's there's something, there's Hanukkah, there's there's just always something kind of fun going on during those those months. And then, you know, then once the New Year's bell rings, it's kind of like, oh, okay. It's like, okay. And it's usually gray and cloudier. And you get those snow days, and, and you may not necessarily want tons of snow days. You know, a snow day fun here and there, but it's it's just a different time of year. So that's why we, we put Hunt for Happiness Week in the middle of January. Does making other people happy make you happy? Well, I think any time you can, you can, um, you know, get people feeling good and feeling better. I, I you know, it's again, it's contagious. So it does. I think it makes it makes all of us happy. That's why random acts of kindness and and those kinds of things statistically make us happy. You know, if you're kind of in a funk and you're like, oh, how do I get out of this funk? If you go do something for somebody else, like I said, even a random act of kindness it's going to make you feel better. And that's a scientific, one of those scientific things. So I, I do think any time, like I said, we can make somebody feel good, it's definitely a happiness booster, for me included. Is there, um, is, is there another book in the works for you, Pamela? <laughs> well, I think, I think when I did this book, I, I, 
I ended up t talking to over 60 people. So we have stories and tips from over 60 people um, to, to make those four principles come to life. And so I, I think it would be fun to do that, you know, maybe practical happiness at work or practical happiness for teens. So I think just hearing the stories from those different people in those would be super, would be fun and exciting. So, you know, we'll cross our fingers and see if there's another book, right? Um, let me, uh, let me ask this because we just have a couple of minutes left. Um, what, what is next for you? Now that this book is uh, out and been released, well, it's it's trying to tell as many people as possible about the book, so that hopefully they'll they'll want to buy the book and and see if it helps helps make them happier. So that's that's probably a big chunk of my twenty twenty two. And by the way, I want to I want your listeners to know that if they go to shp dot com slash gift, they can get our thirty one types of happiness tracker and encounter and then you just take you can print that off and take 15 minutes of your day or 30 minutes of your day and just say hey how many of these happy moments did I experience and I think that's a way to bring just a little bit of happiness you know to their life oh cool well um Pamela, as I mentioned, we're almost out of time. My guest is Pamela Gale Johnson. She is the founder of the uh, Society of Happy People, but also the author of a new book that just came out uh, here in January of 2022 called Practical Happiness, Four Principles to Improve Your Life. Um, Pamela, thanks for spending uh, some time and some cheer with me and the listeners this morning. Um, I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know how they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Do you have a website? Well, that would just be the SOHP.com part, so oh, okay. Society of Happy People, SOHP.com. So if they add that little piece on there on guests, gifts, they can get that uh, counter so they can, like I said, put a little bit of practical happiness into their day. And like I said, they can learn more about the book they can learn more about the society holidays they can learn more about me if if your organization needs uh, a speaker i do happiness coaching so uh you know hopefully there's there's all sorts of ways that they can feel just a little bit happy a little happier by visiting um, the website well pamela thanks so much for spending this time with me and keep up the good work no, thank you for having me on, and um, I hope you're. Ha I hope you. I hope you have a slightly happier day too. <laughs> Take care. Thank you. Bye bye. bye. Again, that was uh, Pamela Gale Johnson, founder of uh, the Society of Happy People, and author of Practical Happiness: Four Principles to Improve Your Life. And we're going to talk about. Um, sustainability and the fashion industry uh, coming up with a representative from PETA in the next hour. But uh, right now we're going to take a short break and let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. There's more of the Tom Sumner Program straight ahead. 
Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. Do you have feelings of inadequacy? Do you suffer from shyness? Do you sometimes wish you were more assertive? If you answered yes to any of these questions, ask your doctor or pharmacist about tequila. Tequila, tequila is the safe, natural way to feel better and more confident about yourself and your actions. Tequila can help ease you out of your shyness and let you tell the world that you're ready and willing to do just about anything. You'll notice the benefits of tequila almost immediately. And with a regimen of regular doses, you can overcome any obstacles that prevent you from living the life you want to live. Shyness and awkwardness will be a thing of the past, and you'll discover many talents you never knew you had. Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila may not be right for everyone. Women who are pregnant or nursing should not use tequila. However, women who wouldn't mind nursing or becoming pregnant are encouraged to try it. Side effects may include dizziness, nausea, vomiting, incarceration, erotic lustfulness, loss of motor control, loss of clothing, loss of money, loss of virginity, delusions of grandeur, table dancing, headache, dehydration, dry mouth, and a desire to sing karaoke and play all night rounds of strip poker, truth or dare, and naked twister. Warning, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not. It's a major factor in dancing like a retard. may cause you to tell your friends over and over again that you're in love with them. Also may cause you to think you can sing. Alcohol may lead you to believe that ex-lovers are really dying for you to telephone them at four in the morning. Alcohol may make you think you can logically converse with members of the opposite sex without spitting. It may create the illusion that you are tougher, smarter, faster, and better looking than most people. And it may lead you to think people are laughing with you. Alcohol may cause pregnancy, and it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked. So what are you waiting for? Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila! 
from the Tom Sumner Show. Oh, yeah. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. We used to steal the wheels off of baby coaches to make go-karts. Now those of you that don't know what a go-kart is, a go-kart is made from wood that you take old orange crates or stuff like that, and, and uh, it's, a, it's shaped like an eye, like a big eye. We'll stand it up for you. Uh, a board goes across this way, and then one goes down the middle, and then one goes across this way again. Then you have to make an axis so that you can make a left and a right turn, hammer, uh, hammer down rope and everything, so you can make a left and right turn. Then you need wheels. You've got to have baby coach wheels. Got to have them. Nothing else will work. So we used to go out at night stealing baby coach wheels. <laughs> 287 baby coach wheels we stole. The odd wheel was because Old Weird Harold had a Continental on the back. <laughs> and uh, you get in your, get in your old go-kart there and just sit in it and just pretend that you were driving all over the country. And you gotta have your own music to, run, to ride your, your go-kart. That was my music. I took mine from the from the, the Rough Riders. Old Bird Harold took his from the Lone Ranger. And Crying Charlie took his from the Green Horner. We had about three million kids all racing with their own music. And so the cops heard about our stealing because the mothers reported, there are kids out here stealing our baby coach wheels. Every morning we put our children into the baby coaches, push them, <laughs> the coaches don't move. Children look up and say, why me? <laughs> so we had to hide them. And uh, we waited two days for the heat to blow over. And we brought them out Saturday. Saturday morning, go-kart championship of America. And we're out there, all of us, full force, 300 kids out there. And we're warming up our, our go-karts at the top of the hill. We had a race on Dead Man's Hill. It was called Dead Man's Hill because it went straight down for about a quarter of a mile and then it emptied out onto a freeway. <laughs> Henceforth the name Dead Man's Hill. And uh, we had everything. We had, we had guys that would make uh, pit stops and everything. If your wheel came off, guys would grab it and put it back on it. Uh, have a two-hour pit stop. You know, because it takes a long time to hammer out the nail, straighten it back out, and then put it back in with a rock. You know, you can do it with a nail and a hammer, a real straight one, but you can't do it with a rock. Good. And we had a fireman. Little kid, three years old, used to follow us running down the hill. Had a cup of water in his hand. Whenever you went bad, he hit you in the face with, you know, and put you out, run back up. He was fast. So now we got the go-kart championship of America, and we're all warming up. I'm warming, I'm, I'm warming up my go-kart. Hadn't even gotten out of first gear yet. 
Old Weird Harold's warming up his Rolls Royce. His sounds like this. And he's all crying, Charlie. And the kid came out with his father's underwear. He took black shoe polish, made some squares on him, and he waved him. They're off! We're going down the hill. And I'm winning by six inches. Right behind me is old Weird Harold. And he's gaining on me. It's almost like a four-way tie for first place. Old Weird Harold shot past me. Gotta catch up with him. Reached into my pocket, pulled out my trusty can of three-in-one oil. Zoomed ahead. One of the kids went off to the side and actually boosh right in the face. Got him. And I look about 20 feet from the bottom of the hill and I see 900 cop cars waiting. I went to my emergency brake, which is a piece of wood. Push it forward, it'll stop you if you're going about one mile every five weeks. No good. Put my legs down. I gotta stop. The cops are gonna lock us up. No, no. We smashed up 905 six-year-old kids on the ground crying. Oh, oh, the cops are beautiful. Gonna scare us to death. Pull the guns out. We'll shoot them down right here. Kill all of them, boy. Crying Charlie broke. The cops pulled out the cuffs, put the handcuffs on us, and it backfired on them because her wrists were so skinny that as soon as we put our arms down, they fell off. <laughs> hey, Mrs., the things fell off of us, but we wasn't trying to run away or nothing. We was just standing right here. Honest, don't shoot us down or nothing, but they fell off of us because our wrists, and so they thigh cuffed us together, and that's the way we went to jail. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. Yeah. <laughs> 
Alexander Zondrick, Don't Touch That Dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. 